Hello there, you're listening to the Watson's Daily Podcast with me, Peter Watson, on Thursday the 9th of June. Today I am joined by Inest Pinero, who is a Watson's Daily Ambassador. Hi there, Ines. How are you today? Hello, Peter. I'm doing great today. It's nice and sunny here in London. How are you doing? Nice. Yeah, very well, thank you. Very well. Um, so, today, what stood out for you in Watson's Daily? Yeah, so today, Inditex stood out for me. Um, nice. This is a really nice story, um, the Times article. Yeah. In that Zara owner, Inditex, was well and profits up to 80 percent yeah so the article shows that in the first quarter uh, 86 profits uh, essentially went up to levels that exceeded pre-pandemic levels mm. as uh, consumers continued to return to their stores and Inditex which is the world's biggest fashion retailer mm. um, reported that its gross margin was uh, at its high, highest level with 6.1 percent mm. in a decade I thought, wow, how fascinating because the, the story shows how well these um, Inditex has actually bounced back from the several challenges we've experienced with the pandemic, but also yep. change in consumer behaviour. And uh, the article highlights that um, it is continuing to invest in its digital offering and, it, well, it doesn't appear to be suffering from the fallout from raising its prices. Mm. So, very interesting story. I think Inditex has been really fast in adapting to changing consumer behaviour and overcoming challenges posed by, by the pandemic, climate change, emission targets, etc. The, the basic things that, that we know. And in terms of growth, it, the message has been clear um, mm. with the several brands that they they have, I mean, including Zara, Pull&Bear, Massimo Duty, uh, Stradivarius, Osho, and I think the other one is Bershka, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, the message has been clear. Um, generally, it's, well, we're affordable brands. We keep up to speed with the consumer, what the consumer wants, the consumer mm. behavior. We are targeting a wide demographic, especially because they have, they're able to play with the different brands they own. And, and, and our intention is to go 100% green, which is, we know, somehow questionable, but they are going towards that goal, I think. And in respect of their digital digital offering, it has been great. I mean, we, we see that they, from time to time, they offer, well, they, they put these sales to catch consumers eyes and um, making it easy to choose what people want making mm. it check out as well mm-hmm. offering clear guidance in respect of sizes a, you know inspiration in that sort of thing um and interestingly in your uh edition today well you you mentioned that this uh success of Inditex can be contrasted with the case of Uniqlo mm. which uh well the the it, in, in respect of this, you mentioned the Financial Times article, mm. uh, where it, it shows that the company it's it's about to rise prices on its production to mm. meet the rise in you know in raw materials and mm. the weak yen as well, mm-hmm. and it's it's not been as lucky. And I think. Um, in respect of this, we can go into a number of, of issues here. I think, for example, if you compare Inditex to Uniqlo, um, mm. Inditex is supported by a really strong mix of different brands like we wear 
discussing before they are targeting different people different type of customers a very wide demographic with zara you know providing like really fresh young classy styles and pulling their uh, kind of providing a more cool <laughs> kind of young um targeting more young people mass modernity you know with like greater quality and a bit more exp- expensive mm. products but mm-hmm. You know, they're able to balance these and Stradivarius as well, like very young, fast fashion, Oisha, they have, you know, they target people that are into yoga, sports, pajamas. And so I think they have a very strong uh, market in the sense they are able to play and balance uh, the change in consumer behaviors in respect of this mm. to, to see what uh, it works for them and, and move really fast in the way that they um, kind of plan their production going forward. Whereas with Uniqlo, mm. uh, I think, well, to me, I, th- I think it's very basic and, and slow at perhaps... Um, deciding what to do in respect of the designs and that sort of thing mm. uh, and, and and targeting different people. What would you say in respect of this, Peter? Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I mean, you know, I think you made a lot of good points there. I think that the, um, you know, so, well, actually, before I, I talk, go on about this, I'll just say it is quite interesting that generally, generally, um, the world's biggest fashion retailer tends to um, uh, switch between Inditex, which owns, as you say, all those uh, brands, including, you know, Zara, Massimo Dutti, Bershka, Pull & Bear, etc. Uh, then Fast Retailing, which, which is Japanese, and it owns Uniqlo. Uh, and then uh, Hennes & Moritz, H&M. Um, and they all seem to sort of basically at any one time, they all seem to be, you know, one one of them will be number one. Although, of course, Sheehan has been doing incredibly well. But that's another that's another yeah. kettle of fish altogether. So anyway, going back to it, we're, we're, going back to your question, um, I think that um, Zara is uh, you know, Zara's done obviously done very well. Um, and I think that um, th- this is. Yeah, I've I've always, I have to say I've always liked Inditex. You know, I've followed Inditex for a very for actually a few decades. <laughs> uh, that's how old I am. But uh, you know, a few decades and um, well, actually, uh, you know, only two only two decades and a bit. <laughs> and um, and I just think that uh, you know I've always admired the way that it has the relatively short um, uh, time span between. A design and hitting the shelf and I'm, i've said this on many podcasts in the past um you know and i know you know when i when i went to um years ago when i was stockbroking i used to go and visit companies you know individually um and i did i i remember going to um to fast retailing um in tokyo and um you know i was talking about their their strategy and stuff and i did say at that point are you ever going to change from your kind of you know it will shorten your the, the time between design and um and churning it out and and they said no and, and clearly they're still <laughs> the same right because the thing is the thing is the, the difference with i i think the the way that it, that sums it up best is that you've got zara you've got inditex rather with all these different brands that hit all different def, you know kind of different but related demographics i mean you could in theory i guess 
you know, as you grow older, you can go up the, up the, the scale. scale. Yeah. You can, you know, Inditex can be with you for many years, right? Mm-hmm. So they've got all that covered. Um, but they, but equally, they've got, it's like, they're all the, you know, it's all Inditex, but there's, there's an Inditex for you, right? Whereas I think with fast retailing and Uniqlo, Uniqlo is like for everyone, you know, and, um, and the thing is with Uniqlo is that they, very much, you know, if they, they, I've always found Uniqlo, they've been hit, and, hit or miss. If they do a, a, a great product, then they are massive, do massively well because they do that product. They do all the different colors, the different sizes, etc., and everyone goes and buys them. Um, and, you know, that, that they do really well. Um, I think also they are much more um, exposed to things like currency fluctuations and the strength or weakness of the yen, because as I've said in this particular article today, it's all about how, um, you know, if you've got a weak yen, then fast retailing generally doesn't tend to do as well because it pays for all its, um, uh, you know, raw materials in, in not yen anyway. I think, probably dollars i imagine but you know not yen so that means if you've got a weak yen it costs you more to buy stuff and they all their all their uh, manufacturing is overseas Mm -hmm. so um it's there's they in in many ways i feel that inditex and and fast retailing are in many ways polar opposites you know zara with um very much you know making the uh, clothes and things as close or as reasonably close to you know the consumer as possible geographically um and a very quick turnaround so the good thing is if they if they have something and it's not working they can quickly change it and there's not too much damage done if they if it does well they can just they churn it out because you know they can they can do that whereas with fast retailing they take a much more say more of a say whereas let's say if if uh if Inditex's turnaround is six weeks, um, uh, I'm you know fast retailing. I don't know what it is these days, but it'll be like three to six months or something. Mm. So if they get it right, it's great. If they get it wrong, it's a nightmare because they end up wearing you know uh, many months worth of of, uh, of stuff they got to get rid of at a discount. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that's why I think it's also interesting because you, you can even think about um, consumer behaviours in, in, in distinct regions as well. And I think, for example, in the West, we've got this culture of wanting to buy excessively as well, which is not very sustained, like very good for the environment because, you know, you, you end up like buying lots of things that you don't actually need. Mm. And I think, for example, Inditex is much better at that mm. uh, in, in the sense that, you know, it's constantly producing producing and um new stuff and innovating and mm. you know kind of trying to catch people's eyes which mm-hmm. perhaps provide an example that's uh, closer to uh, perhaps inditex model um earlier last week we saw the headlines that announcing misguided was at risk of going into administration due to a cash flow problem something like that and mm. Especially we're comparing Zara with Misguided to illustrate how both companies reacted during the same period of time, which mm. was the pandemic. And, and you can clearly see the difference and, and why Inditex is perhaps uh, growing to success in, in, in this market 
And mm. a very important point here it was sustainability, for example. Yeah. Sustainability, labor practices, and their transition to green fashion, essentially. Mm. And a crucial issue here is that, for example, you can see that in the text, but specifically Zara, it's taking actions, quick actions, in the sense that um, it's been very proactive in handling this uh, changing behavior. And not long ago, it has revealed that it will now be charging a 2.5 fee for returns so mm. when people buy things that they just want to return their their items that they don't long, not longer want they yeah. will not have to pay for that and that, that's for that's for returns on by post right yes right Where, whereas if you are going you can return in store that's still for free yeah, so that's yeah. what that's one of the benefits that these yeah. specialists were talking about. They mm. said that they are this is really good for three reasons. So of mm. course, first of all, it reduces carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, it reduces insect ex- expenses as well because this is you will be surprised at how expensive it is mm-hmm. uh, to return of these, especially because you know you you highly you have this trend of people ordering a lot of things they don't actually need. They sometimes mm. like one item, but they kind of order like three different sizes just to make sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah one so mm. that will definitely reduce expenses but also encourages people to go to the shops to make the return mm-hmm. because that's free mm-hmm. and you know that will increase football it increases sales uh and, and sorts the issue of the real estate and the high, high street concerns that we we've been talking about mm-hmm. and so uh, you can see how these sort of um actions generate like positive impacts as well so i mean this is just a simple example but it's just to illustrate how we can see that mm-hmm taking actions to perhaps mitigate certain risks mm. and, and there you go now you have he- headlines like today um 80 percent um increase in 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 their operations essentially mm. all good all good so yes um so i think you know impressive is the is the conclusion to that isn't it really yeah, definitely. We'll we'll see what happens with Uniqlo. I really hope that they're able to, you know, to get back on track because I think they have a lot to offer. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, what about your story, Peter? Right. Well, um, I am asking today the question, um, you know, in, in our social media channels about um, would you like to live in a John Lewis commune? Um, and the reason the reason why I'm asking that is because um, John Lewis unveils um, plans. Um, to um, to follow through on what they have stated previously is their intention to move into real estate and becoming landlords. So um, having properties, renting them out. Now, the idea is they're going to be, um, I, I think that these properties are going to be on or very close to um, their 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 uh, existing um, stores um, and they announced yesterday that the first stores that are going to get the John Lewis treatment are Bromley, Ealing and Reading um, so that should be quite interesting I mean, you know they're going to um, I presume they're going to be furnished with John Lewis stuff uh, they're going to have Waitrose food in the fridge I imagine <laughs> Um, but they do, they, they, you know, I mean, they do sound really good. I mean, they got, you know, they're going to talk, they're going to have roof gardens, gyms, flexible office space, communal areas for, um, for communal kind of get togethers and events and stuff, which, which all sounds kind of lovely in a, in a kind of cult, uh, kind of, kind of way. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I my my overriding um my overriding concern about the whole thing is that um it's not 
their central business. Their central business is retail, and they're not really doing that much, from what I can see, to improve their situation. Um, they're doing what I, I always get very frustrated with um, retailers that do this, and it's generally supermarkets that do this. They, they um, you know, the UK is a very mature business. It's very competitive, um, and so margins can you know be squeezed and so um so what i've often seen in the past this is a massive generalization but is ceo comes in um they say right um the growth is is a bit stagnant let's do something exciting let's expand abroad so they then expand abroad um usually with a part some kind of local partner or something and then when the results come out you know every quarter or half year or something they generally say oh well you know uh central business it's not doing very well i mean it's kind of mature so you know that's to be expected but of course we've got this amazing growth opportunity in wherever it is um and you know whatever country they're talking about uh, and then investors sort of give them the benefit of the doubt for a bit. And then after a while, they realize that, in fact, it's still loss making uh, abroad. And a few years later, the, the the company will then bring it back and go, oh, yeah, actually, it's not worked. And then they get rid of that CEO and another one comes in. That sort of that's the sort of thing. I mean, I'm actually that's an amalgamation of a lot of different things. Right. But that to me seems to be a bit of a pattern. And and I think that. um with with regard to um, what's happened at, at John Lewis, I mean, it's basically got rid of um, a, a few lifers, you know, people who've worked there all their lives and or have worked in retail all their lives. Yeah. They haven't worked at John Lewis all their lives. And they've replaced them with um, Dame Sharon White, which is great. I mean, she has an amazing reputation. But my massive sort of beef with her is that she has no retail experience. And she's coming at it, which is probably why she was chosen, because they probably think, well, it needs a bit of a shake up. But really doing this, I mean, we they are going from what I can see, they are wading in to a property market, which is arguably at its peak. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're going to bring together this stuff. They say they're going to there's going to be a balance between affordable and presumably <laughs> pretty expensive. Um, you know, if they've got all this stuff. Um you know, they say they're going to do this. Is this the right time to do this? I would suggest no. Um, I would say, like, you know, I think that they they need to concentrate on they need to concentrate on their core business, and I don't think they're really doing it. But I don't know. What What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's just a bit too optimistic, I will say, because mm. well, this article as you point out, they plan to generate 40% profits from non-retail ventures by 2030. Mm. So it's, it's what, eight years? Mm. Um, yeah, it sounds very optimistic because they're trying to tackle into a complete new industry mm. where they have no expertise in. And where, whereas it sounds very, you know, attractive and appealing. Um, mm. it's just It just poses a lot of questions. I mean, I think it will be good to expand their business given the chance of, um, well, the change in consumer behavior in department stores. We've seen what's happened with Debenhams, mm. um, this, the high street crisis, all mm. for them to give a different use to their um, available warehouses or, uh, you know, the available retail properties um, mm. and, and the changes in retail in general. So mm. good that they're trying to do something different to create a, a, another stream of uh 
well, another stream of revenue, essentially. Yeah. So it's good to move on to a retail market now, yeah. uh, to a rental market now, sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, it's still, I just have loads of questions as to, you know, it's interesting to see why it's retail market and not private housing. What, mm. what do you think that is, Peter? Um, I think that it just means that it can, um, it gives it the freedom to do more over time because, of course, if the retail market doesn't really do very well, they just sell. They can just sell it off. You know, they can just sell these things as they would have done previously. You know, because yeah. uh, apparently they, you know, they some of them do have already. And actually, I know I live in Guildford. I'm pretty sure that the ones in Guildford, they do have, um, you know, they have apartments above the above the store. So, you know, and they, but they sell those. So it may well be that they, they're doing the rental thing um, because they would rather that for the long term, because of course mm-hmm. that brings in consistent revenue over time. Yeah. Um, but maybe they'll, if the market just doesn't do very well, then they've got an asset that they can sell. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, uh, you know, it's That's okay. It's okay. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's, it sounds like a nice idea. I mean, I've lived in, um, uh, you know, a, a place in the past in London, which was brand new. I mean, we were the first people in. Um, it was super, super <coughs> sorry, super cool. It had, um, you know, all the bar, you know, bar, pizza restaurant, private cinema, concierge, swimming pool, um, you know, gym, everything. And it was great. And I think that they were trying to create a community feel, but I don't think that works brilliantly well um it was i I don't think it works that well in london because no one really talk i mean this is so generalization but no one wants to talk to each other because they're all they're (laughs) all too tired um and then the other and 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 the other thing is that you know all this momentum happens at the beginning and so i'm sure that there'll be some you know chef comes along to do to do to do to show people how to barbecue in the communal area or (laughs) and they do they do all that initially but then after a while, it just loses momentum and then people just go back to what they were doing anyway. Yeah, well, when I was reading this article, the thing that I thought is, OK, well, this could certainly be appealing to young people that work in mm. the uh, Of course, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's going to be a really expensive rent, you know, especially if they are like furnished with John Lewis stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. really posh, but also like, really expensive. Um, but um, I think this could potentially work with the trend of working from home, especially mm. uh, because if they're trying to um, put these, um, well, rental properties in strategic locations to make them close to the John Lewis store, mm. the, the various John Lewis stores, essentially, mm. um, then it could work well in the sense that, well, if you're working from home, you might allow, allow yourself to go out to the communal areas or just go for a coffee or just mm. walk around. And then that way you'll be able to get people to go into the stores even more. Uh- do you mean the cof- a coffee at the Waitrose Cafe? Well, maybe potentially, because I imagine those stores are you know, very <laughs> yeah. close to these um, yeah, yeah. to these properties. Yeah. So you see that that way it could work like a good strategy in the sense that they're trying to encourage people to go to the shops even more. Mm. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it, it, it's good that they're building for the future and intend mm. to have streams of income yeah. and mitigate risks this way. But as you rightly mentioned, they they are doing it at the, in the wrong time. I think. Mm. Yeah. Market, so they yeah. should be like focusing on the retail business at least a bit more. Yeah. Uh, sense to try and, and create different ways to attract people and mitigate the current risk in this market because that's at the core of the business right now. So what's yeah. what happens in the future? And again, 
40% profits from this venture by 2030. Mm. Sounds so optimistic. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I don't know, Peter. I don't know. <laughs> we'll and I, you know, I, on a on a final note, I'd say that uh, you know anyone that going into these places, I, I would suggest you need to make sure you read the small prints um, because you know there may, may who knows maybe <laughs> there'll be some sort of alarm um, that detects uh, if you've been to a shop other than Waitrose for your <laughs> for your, uh, for your groceries and oh. an alarm goes off H you know uh, uh, headquarters at, at Waitrose. Um, they're, they're alerted and, and suddenly before you know it, you're kicked out uh, for, for bringing in foreign items. Um, and the other thing as well that also occurred to me is, is wouldn't it be like the ultimate laziness to get um, a delivery of from what from Waitrose if you lived in one of their apartments? Oh like, instead God. of just going downstairs. You got them to deliver to, to I your door. I know people that do that, Peter. I believe me. I know people that do that, and it's literally like, what are you doing with your life? Dude? Oh no, I've got no time. I've got no time. Uh, anyway, uh, on that note, um, we'll we'll better finish. But uh, thank you very much indeed for today, Ines. Uh, thank you so much, Peter. And um, thank you very much for listeners for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow for the last time this week, and uh, have a great day. Many thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.